All right, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours now of um, August 14th, a very hot night in New York City here in the uh, Lower East Side of Manhattan, as always. And tonight we're going to do uh, a meta podcast, as it were, a podcast in which we discuss the podcast. And this project, known as Counter Vortex, generally, because we're getting up now to the uh, the twenty year mark. I launched this website under another name, but basically it's the same project. In the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, initially to monitor the global war on terrorism and its impacts on democracy, ecology, etc. Now the scope has expanded a great deal although we still continue to cover the G-Watt very closely. And I've been doing this work all of these years for only one reason, because I believe that it's important. I'm getting out information and perspectives which badly need to get out. And after 20 years of attempting to monetize it, uh, we are only now beginning to do so. Maintaining it, of course, costs upwards of $1,000 a year, hosting and all of that. And over the years, I've actually put, you know, paid work on hold to be able to uh, try to develop the website and build a readership for it. And a part of the, uh, you know, the obstacle has been that I understand this. It's kind of a paradox because, I mean, I'm, I'm telling unpopular truths. And by definition, this is not a winning strategy to, you know, build a... Uh, <laughs> A widespread audience telling people what they don't want to hear as opposed to what they want to hear and shaking people up and challenging them. But, uh, you know, somebody's got to do it. And this has also uh, meant a lack of so-called institutional backing. I mean, uh, my big nemesis of the moment, <clears throat> the Gray Zone, they've got the entire, you know, Russian propaganda machine behind them, RT and Sputnik relentlessly promoting them. I don't have anybody promoting me. I'm promo The only person promoting the efforts of Bill Weinberg is Bill Weinberg. And nor am I affiliated with a, uh, an academic institution or anything like that because I'm just too much of a gadfly and an anarchist to deal with their damn bureaucracy. <clears throat> but like I say, finally, we seem to have come upon a, uh, a strategy that shows some hopes of succeeding, which is the, um, the Patreon account for the podcast, which you are listening to now, as opposed to the, you know, the written material, the, the bloggery and journalism. Now, we've got, uh, you know, a modest 26 Patreon supporters. But nonetheless, even at the minimum, we ask of a dollar per podcast, which is to say four dollars per month, it's starting to bring in something. It's starting to bring in at least a steady trickle, which is more than Counter Vortex has ever done before in the 20 years of its existence this coming fall. So, that's a sign of hope. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this tonight is because I am facing a particular dilemma at the moment. I am uh, currently in that state which is known in the world of freelancers as between gigs. <laughs> A rather um, 
frightening and precarious position, as any freelancer will know. Uh, now, I've had a couple of steady gigs for the past, uh, steady writing gigs for the past few years, which have, you know, sustained my efforts. And I just want to state that I'm actually grateful to them. You know, they were good people to work with, paying me to do intelligent journalism and sharp and skillful editors, which makes a big difference to keeping a writer happy. That's for sure. But um, these gigs have now fallen victim to the post-pandemic economic contraction and gone into indefinite hiatus, leaving me without steady writing work. Okay, and this is happening at the same time as the uh, amazing political developments that uh, we've spoken about on the podcast before are taking place in Peru, a part of the world that uh, doesn't get a lot of international attention, but I um, have a premonition that it could well be getting a lot of international attention in the near future, because the situation there is extremely polarized with a real sign of hope, which is the uh, election of a left-wing campesino advocate from up in the uh, up in the high Andes, a complete political outsider, Pedro Castillo, as the president of Peru, but also sparking a very, very ugly backlash from the, you know, fascistic elements in Peru around uh, Keiko Fujimori, who initially tried to pull a Trump and would not recognize Castillo's victory and charged voter fraud. And, uh, Longtime followers of my work will be aware that for the past um, many years, I have been struggling to finish a manuscript about indigenous struggles in the Andean nations. I have a tremendous surfeit of material, which is part of the problem. And uh, I have determined that what I need to do is I need to just get out a title about Peru now, while it's timely. Because I have enough material about Peru for a short book that uh, (laughs) the publisher that I was under contract with will um, hopefully want to publish as opposed to, uh, you know, a um, much longer and unwieldy book. I need to narrow the focus down to one country, and that country is Peru. The other material can be uh, possibly used in a sequel. Knock on wood, or ojalá, as they say, south of the border. In any event, uh, I need to take this situation of being between gigs at the moment and, uh, you know, um, make, a, make a virtue of necessity of it, so to speak, and concentrate over the next few months on finishing this manuscript. But I need to stay afloat economically during this period. I'm going to be frank with you. So I urgently need to jack up the number of my Patreon supporters, and I am offering a deal to you, dear listener. So here's the deal. If you go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash countervortex, you will see that we have added a new tier, as they call them. Okay, now up to this point, we've been asking a minimum of one buck per podcast. That is to say, a dollar a week. If you want to give more, you're invited to give more but a minimum of one buck per podcast. With the second tier, we're offering the $2 option, and we're actually going to give you a perk. And the perk is this. Sign up for $2 per podcast, and you get to choose a rant. 
Join this tier and you get to choose a topic for yours truly, Bill Weinberg, to rant about for an episode of the podcast. And uh, I will point out that even though I, uh, you know, do have a tendency to rant, I tend to get very passionate. Um, I, my, I would like to believe that my rants are extremely well-informed and didactic and wide-ranging. So uh, that's the offer. Sign up for two bucks per podcast and you get to choose one rant. You can choose the subject matter that I will, uh, <clears throat> that I will discuss. And I can, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast if you wish. All right, now, what are the options here? I mean, I have to narrow down what my basic uh, areas of expertise are. For those of you who are new listeners, and welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. <clears throat> okay, first and foremost, the primary subject matter of the website, countervortex.org, which is to say small wars, as well as large ones, and the struggles of peasants and indigenous peoples local, regional, and ethnic autonomy struggles around the world. I've dedicated myself to obsessively following this since 9-11, especially trying to focus on uh, underreported conflicts and trying to provide perspectives, you know, outside the conditioned responses of uh, soundbite coverage. And I've done all this to very little, once again, <coughs> remuneration. And especially what we do in our coverage is we, you know, try to explore local contexts and try to determine, you know, get a sense of, of who are the good guys that we can root for on the ground, rather than viewing these conflicts exclusively through the lens of geopolitics and campism. Now, yes, of course, we need to understand the agendas of the great powers in these conflicts. And that's also a critical part of what we do. But uh, not letting that be the sole determinant of our analysis and actually listening to the voices on the ground and their struggles and aspirations in their own right, apart from where it fits in on the geopolitical chessboard. So, dear listener, pick a spot on the globe. And uh, I relish the opportunity anywhere, and I will research it and provide an informed analysis shaped by uh, our, uh, shall we say, left-wing autonomist perspective here at Counter Vortex. Any one of the seven continents, challenge me. Okay, then there's the subject matter that uh, I actually do get paid for. I mean, not this exclusively, but largely in recent years. The subject matter that I do actually receive remuneration for, which is, yes, cannabis, my second favorite herb after garlic. And uh, in addition to writing for publications such as um, Cannabis Now and Project CBD, I actually have a new cannabis story, uh, cannabis-related story, which is out just today, just posted today on the, uh, on the website of The Progressive magazine. I was really uh, happy that the progressive, I don't always see eye to eye with them politically, but I was really glad that uh, they actually saw fit to go with this as, they, as the lead story on their website this week. Anti-cannabis crackdown targets Hmong in Northern California. On the little uh, anti-Asian police state way up in uh, Northern California's Siskiyou County, which has emerged with... Uh, clearly ethnically targeted 
cannabis enforcement. And yes, in little conservative and remote pockets of California, like Siskiyou County, cannabis enforcement and eradication continues despite so-called legalization in the state. For instance, outdoor growing is banned by ordinance in Siskiyou, as they have the right to do under state law. And the enforcement there has uh, clearly been disproportionately targeted at the community of Hmong immigrants and refugees from the Southeast Asian nation of Laos, who have settled in Siskiyou County to grow cannabis in recent years, you know, following in the uh, tradition of the, the hippies and rednecks who have been growing cannabis up there for two generations now. <clears throat> and unfortunately, the uh, situation escalates also impacted by the, um, by the devastating wildfires driven by global warming, which are sweeping through the region. And uh, during a, an evacuation of a uh, Hmong community up in Siskiyou, which was unfortunately being engulfed by flames, there was some kind of mysterious altercation between a Hmong man and the uh, local sheriff's department, and the man wound up dead. And there have been protests about this in the usually sleepy county seat of Wairika. So just the kind of, uh, you know, cannabis journalism that uh, really gets me going. You know, I mean, I, tying together uh, issues of social and racial justice and ecology with our favorite herb, cannabis. Check it out on the Progressive website. Anti-cannabis crackdown targets Hmong, H-M-O-N-G, in Northern California. But I've also written a great deal over the years that I've been writing, the many years now that I've been writing about cannabis, about the, you know, scientific and... Uh, business aspects of the whole cannabis question. I've got a certain degree of expertise in the politics of cannabis in North America and the world. And in fact, our sidekick website here at Counter Vortex is globalgonjareport.com. So feel free to throw me any topic related to our favorite herb and cannabis, or my second favorite herb after garlic. If I had to give up one or the other, it would be a really, really tough choice. Fortunately, I am not faced with this dilemma. Okay, uh, putting on another one of my hats, or changing hats for the moment, I am also an uh, organic historian, as I call myself, meaning one whose expertise is derived from lived experience, rather than academic training, at the uh, Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space on the Lower East Side, a museum which is at 155 Avenue C between 9th and 10th Streets in the Alphabet City section of the Lower East Side. A museum dedicated to the uh, squatting movement in the community gardens on the Lower East Side. The, the uh, museum is actually in a squatter building, which has now been legalized, the famous Sea Squat. It was like the real punk rock squat on the Lower East Side back in the 80s. And it's still the same squatters who are living there today who opened up the building back in the 80s. <clears throat> Although now uh, they're a legal homestead. A lot of the squats were evicted. There were 11 which survived. And Sea Squat was one of them. It was brought into the um, city's official homesteading program. So now they're not under threat of eviction. But in a certain sense, they still remain a squat. And uh, in addition to help archive and develop exhibits and written material for the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space. I also, every Saturday and Sunday at 3 p.m., do a radical history walking tour of the neighborhood. 
of the Alphabet City section of the Lower East Side, Avenue A through Avenue D. Uh, if you want to meet me in real life, you can do so every Saturday and every Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space, 155 Avenue C. Take my tour for 20 bucks a head. You'll learn more than you ever wanted to know <laughs> about the whole history of uh, squatting and community gardening and riots and insurrections on the Lower East Side, going all the way back to the very first Tompkins Square Park riot of 1857, through the several Tompkins Square Park riots after that in the ensuing century and a half, right up to um, <clears throat> the uh, so-called uh, you know Tompkins Square Uprising, or the Lower East Side Intifada, as we called it, which began with the big Tompkins Square Park riot of August 6, 1988. We just passed the anniversary of it which really was the start of a three-year intifada, a three-year uprising on the Lower East Side, or Loisaida, as the Puerto Ricanos call it. Lots of nearly forgotten history. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've lived in New York City all my life. I can talk about New York City issues, and I have a particularly intimate knowledge of the history of the Lower East Side, especially where, um, shall we say, its countercultural significance is concerned. And I'm using uh, Lower East Side in its, uh, you know, broadest definition to include the entities which are also known as the East Village, NoHo, <clears throat> the Bowery, as it used to be called, Alphabet City, and Chinatown. And, uh, in fact, one rant that I've been considering doing is just a rant about the, uh, you know, how the nomenclature of the, the neighborhood has changed over the years due to gentrification and demographic shifts, and, you know, doing a rant about the whole um, political geography of the Lower East Side. I may do that one regardless of whether anybody pays me, but if you want to be sure that I'm going to do it, well, just sign up at Tier 2 for $2 per podcast. Okay, then there's uh, book reviews. We've done a lot of book reviews on this, uh, on the Counter Vortex podcast. Always looking for new interesting titles. If you want me to review a particular title, it's on you to send me the book, if I don't already have it. But largely in our, in our uh, you know, choice of material, we've uh, particularly been turning to uh, you know, authors from the regions which we are discussing, rather than looking to you know, the usual white Western talking heads for insight on Syria or Libya or Taiwan. That's the kind of thing we're really interested in. If you've got a book suggestion for us, be in touch. Now, on the more literary tip, uh, <clears throat> well, for starters, I'm not that much of a literary head. Mostly what I read is nonfiction. I'm kind of, uh, kind of a vulgar blockhead that way. But we've uh, delved a little bit into uh, literary explorations here on the Counter Vortex podcast, in which I will confess that I have, uh, you know, betrayed my fetish for... Um, Dead Englishmen, <laughs> two of my favorite writers, which we've discussed more than once each, as a matter of fact, are George Orwell and C.S. Lewis. But, uh, you know, my tastes in literature, as narrow as they are, are and or limited as they are, are by no means confined to Dead Englishmen, one of my all-time favorite books, which I've been considering rereading and re-exploring in the podcast, is um, The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin, one of my all-time favorite writers who I've also been uh, 
considering doing a little rant about, is one I'll bet most of you have never even heard of, Aubrey Menon. I think a lot more well-known in his native India. No, technically, he was actually born in Britain, but of Indian parentage, and all of his writing is about India. That's actually not true. Most of his writing is about India, not all of it, because he was extremely wide-ranging, as a matter of fact, and both challenging and engaging as a writer. Probably best known for his, uh, you know, sort of modernistic reinterpretations of Indian mysticism, Hindu mysticism. But uh, he's also got a book about the, uh, the anti-Nazi uprising in Naples in 1943. But those are just, you know, the ideas that have recently been occurring to me. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, dear listener, lay an author or two on me and uh, see what I have to say about him. Or send me a book, and I promise... I will read it and review it. All right, then if we want to get really uh, meta, you know, I'm happy to talk about myself. <laughs> Anything you ever wanted to know about Bill Weinberg? I mean, I think uh, I've led a pretty interesting life up until now, and I hope that it continues to be interesting. Um, I was a uh, teenage anarchist. I was one of the latter-day yippies back in the 80s, part of, uh, you know, a surviving remnant of the 1960s counterculture group, radical counterculture group. Um, I was involved, really, with them, with the latter-day yips, in the stateside chapter of the Rock Against Racism movement here in New York City back in the 80s, part of the whole anarchist punk scene. And then I participated in the anti-nuclear movement in California, blockading reactors and the like. Then, uh, you know, back here in New York, <clears throat> I was uh, part of the Tompkins Square Park uprising in the late 80s into the early 90s. I've traveled all over the Western Hemisphere. I visited war zones in Chiapas with the Zapatistas and wrote a book about it. Also, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Colombia, visiting conflicted areas and writing about campesino struggles and indigenous struggles and land recovery efforts. Okay, I was a news editor at High Times Magazine in the 1990s and traveled for them to uh, California's Emerald Triangle every harvest season for a few years, visiting with cannabis growers and writing about the militarized eradication campaigns which were then going on. In the 90s, I actually had two editorial positions at two different publications. I was news editor at High Times and I was um, a contributing editor at Native America's Quarterly, out of, uh, which was published by the American Indian Program at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Uh, because just, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, <clears throat> boasting a little bit here, I guess, you know, I was one of the first gringo journalists to contact the Zapatistas after the uh, rebellion broke out in Chiapas in um, January of 1994. And my friends, who were just at that time were launching Native America's Quarterly, uh, became aware of that work, and uh, I started working with them as a uh, as a contributing editor, and traveled with them you know, back to Mexico, traveled for them back to Mexico, <clears throat> as well as to Central America. And I was uh, in those years, I was actually going to uh, I was going to Mexico several times a year, either on assignment for Native America's or for High Times or for both, and covering more of the drug war angle for High Times and more of the indigenous angle for Native Americans. But certainly, you know, both of them were, uh, both of those angles are kind of integral to the stories that I was telling. Counterinsurgency taking place in the guise of drug enforcement and all that sort of thing. So, uh, <clears throat> I have personal anecdotes about all of that stuff. 
I've also had pretty amazing experiences, I will say, in <clears throat> Italy, Spain, China, and Japan. And uh, finally, uh, you know, I was for 20 years a uh, producer at WBAI Radio here in New York. And while I try not to look back too much to the glory days of the Moorish Orthodox Radio Crusade, for a $2 Patreon subscription, I will rant about any aspect of it for you, including, if you insist, the various internal factional struggles for um, control of WBAI, which I was very, very, very deeply involved in for many years, and for control of WBAI and for control of the Pacifica Network generally, a struggle which is still going on today, although without my involvement. Not since uh, I lost my radio show, The Moorish Orthodox Radio Crusade, on the Ides of March 2011. So there, there's just a few ideas that you can uh, throw in my direction. Now, I have just a, uh, you know, a couple of caveats. One is that uh, I reserve the right to refuse, you know? I mean, if you're going to ask me to at the rant about basketball or opera or TV sitcoms, or anything else which I have absolutely no expertise in whatsoever, well, forget about it. And, uh, you know, additionally, there may be personal things which I do not wish to reveal. So just, uh, you know, an escape clause for anyone who may wish to put me on the spot. But generally, I think you'll find me extremely open to your ideas. And if I turn down one, just throw another one at me. Uh, secondly is... Um, we're working on a trust system here. And if you're going to sign up for $2 a podcast, I want you to make a commitment of at least a year. I mean, barring absolute, you know, um, financial cataclysm on your part and the $8 a month actually making the difference between you, uh, you know, being able to pay the rent. <laughs> barring that, I want to, um, I want you to make a commitment of at least a year. It isn't fair to, you know, just sign up for, uh, you know, $2 a podcast and then canceling right after I uh, take up your idea. That's not fair. Now, for the second year, you get to get back in touch with me and choose a new rant. I think, that's, I think those terms are more than fair. So we want at least a year's commitment and uh, you want to keep going for another year, you can suggest another rant. So uh, do it, dear listener. Choose a rant. Choose a topic for me to rant on, for me, Bill Weinberg, to rant on, on the counter vortex. We will give you a, uh, a shout out on the podcast if you wish, or if you wish to remain anonymous, that's fine too, or we can just, uh, you know, identify you by your geographic location. Thank you, Needles, California. So help us out. Go right now, right now, dear listener, on your digital device of choice to patreon.com slash countervortex. Click where it says supporter. $2 per podcast. Choose a rant. Join this tier and get to choose a topic for Built to Rant on for an episode of the podcast. Do it now. Seize the time. Carpe diem. The countervortex needs your support. And this is going to turn it into more of a collaborationist project, more of a um, participatory project, which has always been the, uh, the ethic that I have tried to do radio by. And back when I was actually doing radio, radio as it were, on WBAI, 
you know, people used to write me at the station. I would read their letters on the air and I would take listener phone calls. Well, you can't take listener phone calls on a podcast, or at least I haven't figured out how to do it. So this will be our way of interacting with you, the listeners. Do it now. Patreon.com slash CounterVortex. Hit me up, yo. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Please check us out online at countervortex.org and patreon.com slash countervortex. Support us at Patreon. Join The Counter Vortex in a very literal sense. Join us. Join the resistance and rant on you next time. Hopefully with you, dear listener, having chosen the subject matter. Good night.